There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is all about helping people create more meaningful and purposeful lives and equipping leaders inside organizations to cultivate meaning and purpose that elicits passion, inspired contribution, innovation, and persevering performance. I talk with my guests to draw on their expertise and share my own experience consulting, speaking, and developing workforces across the globe. Before we get into the program, let me give a shout out to our sponsor, RentWithRightToBuy.com. This real estate service offers a new way to home ownership and allows you to purchase a home when you may not be entirely ready. It's a great option if your credit is not in the best of shape or if you are in transition such as divorce, downsizing, or relocating and unsure about your new area or checking out a new opportunity to see if it aligns with your own purpose. How's that? Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something you can immediately use in your life or work. And if I can do anything to help you along your journey, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a conversation and explore what's going on for you and see how I might be able to help. Whether you want to learn more about how to develop a purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused culture in your organization, you want to see about joining a Catch Fire online inspiration, accountability, or mastermind community to nurture your own passion and purpose, or you'd like me to speak for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected, and thanks for listening. On to this week's program. With us today is Carl Munger. He is the founder and executive director of Gallant Few Incorporated, a nonprofit helping military veterans transition from active duty to civilian lives of hope and purpose. He is a retired U.S. Army major who served in infantry and ranger assignments. He is an author, award-winning video producer, and certified Burris Functional Emotional Fitness Practitioner. He was recently elected to the Town of Trophy Club Town Council. We'll be talking about the experience and challenges military service men and women have transitioning to civilian civilian life, Carl's own experience making the transition, and the organization he founded to help veterans lead lives of hope and purpose. He joined today from Trophy Club in, in Texas, which is just outside of Fort Worth. Carl, welcome to Working on Purpose. Uh, Lise, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. It really is amazing. And I want to th- I give a shout out to our, our common friend, Henda Samaran, who suggested I reach out to you and have you on the show. You are a perfect contribution because this show, Carl, is really designed to help really move forward the conversation about meaning and purpose in the workplace. And our veterans are, are, are a critical element in that. So you are an important contribution. So thank you for being with us. You know, when a veteran does not have a successful transition, the whole community suffers. So thank you for letting us talk about uh, some of the challenges and some of the things that we're doing. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and let's start, if we can, just briefly with your, your mission. We'll talk more about what, what your organization does a little bit later in the program. At first in this segment, I want to talk about really, you know, what veterans go through. But I love what, you, what you're up to here as a, as a mission. You say, um, the mission of Gallant Few as a revolutionary veteran support network is to facilitate a peaceful, successful transition from military service to civilian life filled with hope and purpose. Such a great vision to open our conversation with, Carl. And so let's first help our, our listeners understand um, why you exist as an organization. So we want to talk about 
um, what military people face when they're going from military to civilian. So help us understand first, how many military servicemen and women do you think make the transition monthly to civilian life? Can you, is there a way to quantify that? Yeah, I, I would guess it's around 20,000. I think the, uh, the military says there are about 250,000 per year. So you could say 20,000 per month are transitioning. Now, that does not necessarily include National Guards and reservists because do they transition, right? When they come back from a combat deployment, uh, their transition is they check in at their unit and then they go home and they do their day job for the next month before they come back for another drill. So they may not interact with anyone else from that unit. So that that is, it's a totally, it adds layers of complexity to the transition discussion that a lot of times gets glossed over. Just this morning, I had, uh, I got a message from uh, an officer who is serving in a state National Guard unit, and they have, over the last 30 days, had three suicides. Mm. And uh, and the last one happened uh, just just yesterday. And so he's he's reaching out and saying, hey, what can we do? Give me some ideas. And, uh, you know, that whole, when people think transition, it's not just somebody that served in the Marine Corps for four years or 10 years or 20 years, and now they're moving into the civilian life. It's the guy that manages the grocery store that goes to Afghanistan for 12 months as part of a reserve or a National Guard unit, and then comes back and is in the grocery store next Monday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, Carl, I mean, I don't have experience, military experience, but in in preparing for this conversation, I just dug a little bit here. And part of what I discovered is that um, part of the reason the military service people have a hard time coming back is they just, they can't relate again to the civilian culture and the civilians can't relate to them. Can you say more about that? Well, that's a part of it. But the the bigger issue is, uh, and your show is all about purpose, right? So when you serve in the military, you know your purpose. If you have any question at all about your purpose, your squad leader is going to jam it right down your throat. So you know it's to support and defend the Constitution of the United States and lay down your life for your brother, your country, if need be. Um, when you come back to the civilian world, a lot of veterans, so employment in the military, that was purpose. So now I'm going to work at Brand X doing whatever. That's now my purpose. Only that's not purpose. So when you, when you try to equate civilian employment, unless you are in a, a very dedicated service industry, maybe a law enforcement officer, maybe you're a counselor that works with uh, abused kids, you know, there definitely is purpose in that kind of an employment or career. But when you go into, let's say, I'm, I'm going to, while I go to school, I'm going to sell uh, mobile phones or something. That, I'm going to be the best mobile phone salesperson I can be. That's not purpose. So there is a contradiction there. They can't align that. And that creates other issues because now they start to flounder because they don't understand what is their purpose. And it's certainly not this. And unless they are able to transition into something that provides purpose, now what happens is uh, they start to have relationship issues. They may have employment issues. They'll have financial issues. They may self-medicate, may drink a lot, which creates more financial and more relationship issues and the whole thing can just it's like going down a slide and at the end of that slide is a is a terrible horrible crash and sometimes they can't see it coming because they don't realize that the second that they identify what their purpose is they can stop that slide 
That is so incredibly powerful, Carl. Oh my gosh, you just opened a whole entire world for me in that in that narration and for our listeners. Especially for me, you're right. I, I do everything that I'm up to is about cultivating meaning and purpose for individuals and inside organizations. And now I recognize how hard it must be not just how hard, how impossible it must be to step down from a place where you have, you live every day in incredible purpose, and now you step in, back in the civilian world, and it must feel so empty. I, I that this is this is a an incredible opening for me, Carl. I, I really I really get now more what what the issue is. You know, one of the things that uh, through my entire transition journey, and when I look back in retrospect, I could not have designed. The career that I have, I could not have designed where I am today. Uh, I, yeah, I don't want this to sound weird, but I believe that there's an unseen hand that's guided all of that. And um, my grandfather on my father's side, some of this stuff's still it, it's difficult to talk about, even though I talk about it a lot. But my grandfather on my father's side was an infantryman that fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, and. When my father was about 16, my grandfather was an alcoholic and and he and my dad got crosswise and he threw my dad out of the house. And my dad went on to become uh, a soldier. He ultimately retired from the military as a sergeant major, which is the highest enlisted rank that you can meet. But when I was four, he walked out on my family. And I had a two-year-old sister and my mom was pregnant. And... That was early 60s, 1960s. In the late 60s, I became one of the first kids in a brand new program in Wichita, Kansas called Big Brothers. And I got connected to an attorney named Dave Adams who drove a white convertible Corvette. And he came and picked me up once a week and we went and did things and and had an interaction that showed me with his encouragement that I, I didn't have to limit myself, that I could become whatever I wanted to be. So the, the mentoring aspect as a kid, as a beneficiary of that, was priceless. So I didn't realize this, but about, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was five years after I had been connected with and had this mentor, my grandfather uh, drank himself to death. 1977, men's shelter in Denver. My father told me years later, uh, when he and I reconnected, that all of my grandfather's possessions fit in a shoebox, totally isolated by himself. I believe in the things that I have learned in the last nearly 20 years of helping veterans, both professionally and and just on my spare time, I believe that my grandfather had post-traumatic stress, probably had traumatic brain injury. The VA probably jerked him around. He self-medicated with alcohol. And that destroyed the relationship with my father. And what example do you have? You have the example of your father, right? So my father then, uh, with the example that he had before, he, he moved on to other things, and and, uh, and our life was extremely difficult when I was little. But if someone had been able to interrupt that process, if my grandfather, if someone had set him down and said, here's where you're going, here's what the anger is doing, here's what the alcohol is doing, and here's a different way, here are some things that can happen that can stop this process, then I have no idea what my life, what my sister's lives, you know, what what it would have been like. It certainly would have been different, that's for sure. But when I look back at that slide that my grandfather went down, from destroyed relationships to financial problems to alcoholism, uh, you know there was anger and hurt and isolation in there. 
and ultimately, maybe they had classified it as a suicide, but it was a suicide so he drank himself to death. There are so many veterans that follow that same path, and it needs to be interrupted. Mm-hmm. And, and getting purpose in there somewhere is a huge part of interrupting that slide. This is exactly what I wanted to surface in this conversation, Carl. Let me say, again, a couple things. Let me recognize the, the path and journey you've been on. I really respect and admire that the, the way that you navigated that. And back to your point of you didn't want it to sound weird, but the invisible hand of purpose, definitely, um, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I think that we all discover our purpose in some way in, in different ways or different forms or, or degrees. And, yes, I think you are now living more of your purpose that you were intended for. So, Kudos for that. Um, and then secondly, I did want to talk about the two things you just you just surfaced there in that story about your grandfather. Um, we've all, I think, heard about the incidence of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder among servicemen and women. And what you're t- describing with your grandfather certainly seems to me to be smack of that. Do you know what the numbers are there or the, the precedence there is there? Well, first, I would challenge you to drop the D off of that. Because okay. if, if, God forbid you were assaulted and and every time someone walked next to you in a confined space you recoiled from that would that mm-hmm. be a disorder no certainly not no, completely well not. well done so yes thank you post traumatic stress is is an injury just like a strain in a muscle is an injury which the good side of that means you can you can correct it you can repair it right you can heal it uh, which is contradictory to what a lot of the the things that the VA does today, they give you mechanisms to cope, and part of that's medication. Part of it is techniques to help you cope with the symptoms. We don't want to cope with the symptoms. We want to we want to interrupt that process, and we want to change it going forward. Um, the VA says, and I looked this up last night just to make sure that I had the right uh, the right statistics on it. Vietnam veterans have a 15% diagnosed rate for post traumatic stress. So 15% of the uh, and I can't even tell you, million-plus uh, Vietnam veterans out there have been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. The uh, post-9-11 veterans, so these are the ones that have been at war for the last 18 years, uh, between 11 to 20% in a given year. So there, there are some that may exhibit post-traumatic stress symptoms one year and the next not. So that's when they say in a given year. But 11 to 20%. Vietnam veterans, 15. So I think it's probably pretty safe to say about 15% of all veterans have some uh, post-traumatic stress symptoms. Now, given that, I left the military in 1993, and I made a decision to get out because in October of 1992, we had a helicopter crash that killed 12 of my friends. Um, I was very close with one of them, an officer named Ken Stouse. He was the battalion commander. And I had been his human resource director in the Army. They call it a, an S-1 or an adjutant. I had been his adjutant for uh, a little over 12 months. So, so I'm working very close with him uh, on a daily basis. And, and his, his death devastated me. And when I saw the impact of his loss on his son and daughter and on his wife, that started me relooking my priorities. Um, his replacement boss came in and... Uh, and he and I were, were not always on the same sheet of music. So I decided I'm going to get out of the Army. So I am now the Assistant Operations Officer of the 1st Ranger Battalion, which is one of the most elite units in the United States military. And top secret, special compartment and information clearance, uh, probably if I'd have stayed in, I probably would have made general. Matter of fact, 
of the 20 other captains that were there. When I was there, more than half of them became generals. Some of them are still on active duty today. And I removed myself from that process because I had my feelings a little hurt, but even more devastating, the, the loss of my, of my battalion commander and the other 11. So I returned to Wichita, Kansas, which is where I grew up mostly, graduated from high school there, or high school and college. And, and I've been gone now for 10 years. I go back into that environment, and one of the first major job interviews I had was with a huge privately held oil and gas company that's headquartered there. And their human resource director looked at my resume, looked at me, and she said, wow, Army officer, you know, you guys are really good at following orders and doing what you're told, but here at this company, we need people that have initiative, think outside the box, and don't need constant supervision. <laughs> Could not have been more insulted. Right. And, uh, and so I left thinking, well, holy crap, what have I done now? And, uh, and how am I going to, my, my wife at that time, uh, I jokingly call her my starter wife, we're on great terms. Uh, we've got two daughters that are wonderful people, and, uh, and she had not been to college yet. She attended some college, but she didn't have a degree. So income potential is limited. Got two young daughters, going to need health care. Um, so we're scrambling. So immediately there is this, wow, I walked out of this job where I had the utmost respect and admiration of both with the people that I work for and of the people that I work for and with, and now I get insulted like this on a job interview. So Carl, hold that thought. Hold on, Carl. Hold on that thought. That I want to really develop this this uh, this story from you, and it's so important that we present your own your own transition. But we got to grab a quick break. So hold on. Hold sure. that thought. Okay, I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Carl Munger, who is the founder and executive director of Gallant Few Incorporated, a nonprofit helping military veterans transition from active duty to civilian lives of hope and purpose. He joins us today from Trophy Club, which is just outside of Fort Worth here in Texas. We've been talking a bit about some of the issues and challenges veterans face. After the break, we're going to hear more about his own transition and talk about what his organization is up to. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now... Back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Carl Munger. He's the founder and executive director of Gallant Few Incorporated, a nonprofit helping military veterans transition from active duty to civilian lives of hope and purpose. He is a retired U.S. Army major who served in infantry and ranger assignments. He is an author, award-winning video producer, and certified Burris functional emotional fitness practitioner. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Carl, definitely wanted to get all of that story, and and I so wanted to be able to position that for our listeners so they really understand that just the the depth and breadth of your experience. So, okay, so you come back, you're you're trying to transition back in the world. Keep, continue where you left off, please. 
Sure. So a rejection like I had just described, when that happens, your self-esteem, your self-confidence, your self-image, your self-worth, they all take hits. And now I, I bump into another Army Ranger veteran who says, well, gosh, you were a Ranger, I was a Ranger, so why did you get out? So now I have to talk about the crash that killed my friends, and I have to talk about the boss that I didn't get along with and the decision that I made to get out. It, 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 it all, if you can see how it brings up a lot of pain, but it makes you want to retract so that you don't put yourself in a situation to have that conversation with someone again. So now you, you're thinking, man, I, I don't, I really need to be around other rangers because they're like me, they think like me. We've had similar experiences, but gosh, I don't want to have that conversation, so I'm going to avoid that pain. And not only that, but now your self-esteem is going down. So it just, it, it can, it has the potential to become a snowball. And when we were talking earlier about that downhill slide, that's the little snowball that starts that downhill slide, because what happens next? Well, now I go home and I'm thinking about all of these conversations and the rejection. I'm going to take a, a shot of whiskey. And that makes me feel a little better, so I'm going to have another one. And you can see where that goes, right? So now your spouse is saying, why are you drinking so much? And you're like, I don't want to talk about it. So you start to become very closed off. That isolation is, in my opinion, the greatest threat to a veteran's successful transition. And really, it's it's just this morning on the news, they had a, there's a new lawsuit against uh, Match.com because they leveraged the loneliness of people to send uh, a, a fake message that says, hey, Joe is interested in you, and then you can only read his message if you pay $30 a month to subscribe to our platform, and, and it was an ad. So people get very hungry to have those kinds of connections, but at the same time, the isolation prevents them from having those real relationships. Um, one of the ways that we we find that helps crack veterans out of that is by creating situations where they have to come out and get involved in something. And sometimes it's just challenging them. It's like, in your perfect world, what would you do? Well, I would be a dog trainer. I would train service dogs to help veterans. Okay, so on Saturday morning, I'm going to meet you over at the local Humane Society, and we're going to sign you up to be a volunteer. I'll see you there at 8.30 in the morning, right? Military, I can fall back into the officer mode. I can give somebody an order to come, and they'll probably come. And then once you have cracked through that a little bit and they see, wow, this is nice. I like this. Now, maybe you have recreated some purpose in them because now they can help these animals. And so now they go, man, I got to get a job so I can help these animals more. So now it's not getting a job for a purpose. It's getting a job to help fuel the purpose. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It does, it does. And so a couple things if we can. So you're starting to surface for me something that I I heard from a colleague of mine when I was telling him that I was going to have you on my program. He also is a a veteran. And and he said for him, he said it, it was the hardest thing he'd ever done to transition from the military into the civilian space. And he said... For him, the transition happens when you no longer feel like a soldier stuck in a civilian world and you start to feel like a civilian with a military background. Um, And so I I feel like in some ways you're starting to surface that with what you just said about being able to look for ways to find meaningful, purposeful work now on the civilian side. Yes? There's a friend of mine named Mike Schlitz who was blown up in Iraq and and lost both of his hands. Uh, He was... uh, burned over 95% of his body 
his nose, his ears, his lips, eyelids, all, all he looks, I joke with him sometimes, he looks like Mr. Potato Head, that all the pieces fell off. And uh, he talks about transition, and he says, you never stop transitioning. It doesn't matter if you're military or you're civilian, you're always transitioning. You transition from grade school to middle school, from middle school to high school, from high school to college or a job. Mm. You transition into a marriage. You, Your life is always transitioning. And where where you run into a problem is when you allow that transition to stop. And uh, a lot of veterans run into the, oh, civilian life is hard, so I'm going to leverage my disability rating from the VA. Uh, if I get 100%, I don't have to work because they're going to pay me, and then I can stay home and be on my computer. Their transition effectively stops. And, and that stops. It may not be a physical death, but it's a spiritual death because they don't have to go find purpose. They don't have to do anything else until they become so jaded that, that uh, by the time they realize that those things are out there, that they're, that they're lacking, then their life is. We, we have, I'm pinging around a little bit on this. I apologize. One of the tools that we use when a veteran first engages with us is we ask them to go to azimuthcheck.com and I'm sorry, azimuthcheck.org. Azimuthcheck.com is somebody else. Azimuthcheck.org and take our survey that assesses their level of fitness in five areas, emotional fitness, social fitness, spiritual fitness, professional fitness, and physical fitness. And then from that, we're able to identify kind of where they are on this continuum and we can start to help and encourage them and work them towards things that can help them increase their level of fitness. One of the questions that we ask in uh, spiritual fitness is, and it's not a question, it's a statement. I believe life is worth living. One's not at all. 10 is a whole bunch. Where do you fall on that regard? If it's not a 10, then I'm, I'm going to do a little simple math. I can do ranger math if it's in 10%. So that's easy. So if somebody says uh, 8 out of 10, life is worth living, then I hit them back with, so you're telling me 20% chance you'll kill yourself. Mm. And they go, ooh, I hadn't really thought of it that way. So tell me, why Why 20%? What's, what's going on in your life? And now they'll open up and they'll start talking about things. Well, you know, the VA screwed me around, or I don't have the job that I wished I had, or I got divorced last year and I can't see my kids. Okay, so so now we take that process into a, what are the questions that you ask yourself about that? Because so many of us allow our internal thought process, and oftentimes it happens subconsciously, so you don't even really realize that it's happening, but you let your, your subconscious uh, questions go to why questions. Why can't I see my kids? Because you're a terrible person, right? Why can't I have a better job? Well, because you spent all this time in the military, you didn't get the education and experience that they value. All these why questions that can only answer with because gives you a reason and an excuse for the behavior to continue. It, it makes it okay for you to not achieve the things that you really would like to achieve. When we talk to veterans, we don't talk about achieving goals because in the military, the Army doesn't attack a goal. The Army attacks an objective. An objective requires a plan. It requires resources. It requires a timeline. So tell me, what is the most important thing in your life in the area of love that you absolutely must accomplish? And most people can come up with something. It, it might be internally directed. It might be externally directed towards a partner. It might be towards a kid, whatever. Okay, so 
we have a, a process that that's the functional emotional fitness practitioner that you talked about earlier. I'm certified to not only uh, coach veterans through this process, but I can uh, train other veterans to become coaches themselves or practitioners is how the institute prefers to call it. But when we identify that absolute must, then we want to know what questions are you asking about that? If I absolutely must be a better husband to my wife, and my internal question is, why do I yell at her? Then your because answer might be, well, because you have post-traumatic stress or a traumatic brain injury or whatever. If we can interrupt that process and combined with a vision of what that perfect relationship with your spouse looks like, and change that to what do I need to do to be a better husband to my wife. That requires actual actionable things, right? You can't, you can't answer a what do I need to do question with because. So now you have to actually try something. And when you start trying things, some of them work, some of them don't. But you learn from the things that don't work and try and figure out what, what can I use from this that will help me be successful next time. When I did this and – go ahead – now, uh, um, go ahead, finish your thought, and then I'll ask you another question. Go for it. When I did this in my own personal life, my, my wife has an extensive travel schedule. And our relationship was becoming a little strained because she would come home, and because she knew she was leaving in three days again to go overseas, she would just open her suitcase and live out of her suitcase in the bedroom like she was in a hotel room. <laughs> and now I'm tripping over stuff, right? Or she's not washing her dishes because she's focused on other things around the house. And now, now I've been managing the house for myself for a month. It's like reverse deployment, right? It's like the ultimate irony coming back on me. And uh, <laughs> and and I, I could, there was some resentment that was starting to build there. And when I stepped back and I said, what is the one thing I absolutely must do in the area of love? And it was become a better husband for my wife. So what do I need to do? Well, I need to not get on her case about these things because I want to maximize our time together. So when, when I started going through that process, it helped me realize that uh, I was unintentionally starting to engage in behaviors that could damage our relationship. And once I started being intentional about the things I wanted to do, holy cow, our relationship got three times better. And it's better today than it, she's been on this travel schedule now for the last three years. And it's better today than it was three years ago, way better. And, and those kinds of what can be very simple techniques can help anyone, but especially a veteran that falls into the, why can't I have meaning and purpose again? Why can't I be part of something that truly has value? All of those because answers are going to keep them right where they are and not allow them to move towards where they really need to be. That's so incredibly powerful, Carl. And with that, let's grab our, our last break, and then I'll get to the other questions I was going to ask you. Another break? I know, I know. I tell you, it evaporate. time evaporates on this program, Carl. Look out. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Carl Monger, who is the founder and executive director of Gallant Few Incorporated, a nonprofit helping military veterans transition from active duty to civilian lives of hope and purpose. He joins us today from Trophy Club, which is right outside of Fort Worth here in Texas. After the break, we're going to talk about how it is he actually founded this organization and a few of the other programs that they conduct to help veterans. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Carl Monger, the founder and executive director of Gallant Few Incorporated, a nonprofit helping military veterans transition from active duty to civilian lives of hope and purpose. He is a retired U.S. Army major who served in infantry and ranger assignments. He is an author, award-winning video producer, and certified Burris Functional Emotional Fitness Practitioner. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So yes, Cross, we were saying before the break, um, this just goes so fast and you have so much great information to share and I so appreciate you being here and sharing it. Um, I want to share more about how you do your work and you're helping us get present to just how it is you start to enroll veterans to work with you. But before we get to anything else, I got to know how it was that you actually started Gallant Few. So eight years after I left active duty, uh, the terrorist attacks on 9-11 happened. And in October of 2001, my old boss, the guy that, uh, the intermediate boss, not the one that I really didn't get along with, but, but my boss below him, was now the commander of all rangers, and he led the, he was the first guy to parachute into Afghanistan uh, to deliver a response to the terrorist attacks. And the ranger regiment has, has had rangers deployed in combat ever since, and they are to this day. They, they did missions last night. And when I saw that uh, Joe Votel, who retired two months ago as a four-star general, when I saw that he had uh, stepped into the pages of history, I was still in the Army Reserve System, although I was not an active participant. I'd had back surgery and some other things, and and my daughters were older. Civilian job uh, time, just I I wasn't in a position to to be back in. And uh, But I had access to the email system because I was an inactive reservist. So I sent Joe a message that basically said, oh, Joe, I'm proud of you, I'm jealous. Please uh, pass my regards and the thanks of a grateful nation to all those that are with you. Within about, I want to say it was 24 hours, he responded. He sent me an email from Afghanistan, thanked me for my message, and he ended up uh, later on inviting me to come back to Fort Benning in July of uh, 2003, when he changed command, Ranger Rendezvous, every two years when the regiment changes command is an amazing event where rangers of all eras come back to Fort Benning and they watch this tradition of the, the changing of the commanders. And I went, but I didn't want to go because these guys had now gone into the pages of history and I'm the guy that left because my feelings got hurt and struggled through my own uh, job transition, and, and there's more to that that we do not have time to get in today, but I will tell you that one Army veteran that was out there, he, he reached out to me, and he helped me through my transition because he took a chance, gave me a job in an industry with a skill set that I had zero experience in, and, and when I resisted that, he said, you know, you demonstrated in the military that you have discipline, integrity, and the ability to learn, 
And if you decide you want to be successful at this, you will, and I will make sure that happens. So I went into the construction equipment industry, and most of my, uh, well, now I can't say most of my post-military time, because now almost most of it is doing what I'm doing now, but a lot of my post-military time was spent in the construction world. So I go back to Fort Benning, and I walk up to the back, there's big bleacher grandstands, there's probably a thousand people there, the unit is assembled on the field. And, uh, and I'm just looking for a place in the back where no one will notice that I'm there. And a young ranger with a clipboard says, uh, sir, what is your name? I told him my name. And he said, follow me, because <laughs> I was on the list. <laughs> <laughs> he took me up to the front row where uh, they had reserved a seat for me next to all the local dignitaries, the mayor. And the, it was, it was uh, an incredible honor that I really felt like I didn't deserve. And then afterwards, Joe came right up to me, gave me a big hug and, and thanked me for coming. And, and as we talked, he encouraged me to talk to the other rangers and find out their experiences. And as I did that, it became apparent to me that the things that they were dealing with were moving them down the same path that my grandfather had gone down. And I apologize. I'm a little emotional about this. It's beautiful. No need to apologize. It's beautiful. The the men and women that that do the, the hardest work, the heaviest lifting in protecting our country, they internalize all of their issues. They don't ask for help. Matter of fact, if they ask for help, they have a perception they're going to be perceived as weak, and they might not be allowed to stay in the unit. If a ranger complains of having a back injury, his supervisor is going to question whether or not he can carry that 120-pound rucksack for 20 miles or jump out of an airplane in the middle of the night. Um, so they don't talk about it. And that means they can't go to the medical clinic and get pain meds, which means they drink, which means they put up with those injuries. And then when they get out of the military, there is zero documentation in their medical records. And they go to the VA and they say, Doc, my back is jacked up six ways from Sunday. And the doc looks through the file and says, well, wow, you must have done that last weekend because there's nothing in your medical record. So denied. Mm. So, so as I came back, because of my own experience now going through the VA process, I knew these things. I knew that their tendency was going to be to isolate. I knew that they would not want to talk if they left the military because of the death, because they felt like they were a failure, because they were injured, or they got a DUI. They would not seek out their brothers and sisters, and there's women now. When I went to the last Ranger rendezvous just two months ago at Fort Benning, Georgia, the regiment personnel officer is a female captain. First time in history this has ever happened. And there are men and women now that are doing this stuff. And when they go back to their communities, they it's I don't even, I can't adequately articulate the challenges that are in front of them because not only are they trying to rediscover purpose, but now they're trying to deal with the injuries that they have, some of which are emotional injuries because you don't talk to a shrink when you're in the military either because somebody will think you're not going to be effective when you're on a mission. So there's this this very hard veneer that is around them. And, and the way that we break through that now is when I talk to, I'm very effective with Army Rangers because I am one, an infantryman, an airborne trooper, because I can say, you know what? I don't want to hear anything about you. I'm going to take 30 seconds. I'm going to list off six things, and you tell me how many of them apply to you. 
Number one, you don't feel like you can tell your story to anyone. Number two, you're embarrassed because of how you left the military. You probably have some survivor's guilt or regret there. Number three, you're drinking way more than you want to uh, uh, admit to anyone. You're having trouble sleeping at night. You can't get a job that makes you feel like you're worth a crap, and you don't know what your purpose is. And I had a, a ranger staff sergeant who was a squad leader who had, uh, I think, eight combat deployments and Someone had referred him to me, and when I got on the phone with him, I'm like, so you're Sergeant Smith, right? And he's like, yes. So you're in the Rangers? Yes. Uh, I heard you had a bunch of deployments. Yes. <laughs> it was just, you know, he was not going to open up. And I said, okay, so let me let me run down this. And and so I listed those six things, and, and uh, I said, does any of those sound familiar to you? And he goes, holy crap, every single one of those. He says, do you see this a lot? And I said, every veteran that I talk to has at least two, if not all of these things. <laughs> and he says, you mean I'm not weird? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I said, no. And, and this staff sergeant, who's harder than nails, can take on any challenge in the world, broke down in tears. Mm-hmm. That starts the healing process then, because now, he's, now he thinks military might. Okay, so now I know the deal. W- what do I need to do? Now we can start going down a path that says, you know, let's let's evaluate where you are on this continuum with our azimuth check survey. Let's look for areas in there that one of the questions we ask, it's a little bit tricky, but it says the only place I go for fun are bars. Is that not a lot like you or is that a lot like you? So if you tell me the only place you're going are bars, then let's talk about other potential uh, resources in your community. Maybe it's a chamber of commerce, it's a rotary club, it's a whatever. There are places you can meet people that are good people that are that are. It's not revolving around a bar scene, mm. so that's a huge that's a huge piece of it. And that's where uh, your rock climbing sessions come in, yes. Yes, because when we have uh, we now have four communities around the country that are doing indoor rock climbing programs: Grapevine, Texas, which is right next to Dallas Fort Worth Airport; Wilmington, North Carolina; Raleigh, North Carolina; and Columbus, Georgia. And we, we allow veterans to bring family members to it. The one here uh, is funded by a grant. This We just applied for the sixth year of the grant through the Metroport Rotary Club. They have uh, granted us over $3,000 a year to pay for a membership at this rock climbing gym. And when a veteran comes, they get their harness, their shoes, their chalk bag for free. And I had one, one young veteran named Nate, who's severe post-traumatic stress, uh, very low self-esteem, self-confidence. Uh, he couldn't even call and ask if he could come. His wife called and asked if he could come. And so I was watching for him. I knew about the time he'd come because I knew when he looked at the noise and the the activity in the gym, he would probably get spooked and leave. So I look over at the door. I see this guy come in. He's got a scraggly beard. He's wearing an old unit T-shirt with the shoulders uh, ripped off. And, and he's got on uh, cut-off camouflage fatigue pants. And he looked at the gym, turned around, started to go back out. And I yelled out, hey, are you Nate? And he turned around, looked at me, he said, yes, I am. And I said, step one, go over here, do the safety waiver. Step two, get your gear issued to you. Step three, go over here, they'll give you your safety briefing. Step four, come find me. So I put him right into military mode. And so he went through all those things, and he came and found me. And uh, and I said, okay, good, you're up. So I put him on a super easy wall. Took him a long time. He struggled climbing the wall. Got to the top. Finally, there's a group of veterans down below that are cheering Nate on. That is important because once the last time somebody cheered for you, mm-hmm. you know, if you run a 10K, maybe 
once a year. There's people cheering when you come through the tunnel at the end. When's the last time somebody really, really knew you and cheered you on? So that happens in the military all the time. So now they're doing this. So I lower him down when he's done. He sinks to his knees, covers his face with his hands, and he's in tears for about 30 seconds. And he looks up and he apologizes. And he says, you know, that's the first time in the last three years that my mind was clear because I could only think about climbing that wall. And, uh, and I said, that's great. I unclipped. I handed my end to him. I took his end. And I said, now you blame me. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Nate said, well, you want me to blame you? And I said, yeah, you went through the training, right? And he said, yes. And I said, did you pass? And he said, yes. And I said, then I trust you. Let's go. And a year and a half later, he told me that was a defining moment in his life. Because no one had trusted with him with anything valuable since he left the military. And here I was, because I was a veteran, I'm like, I trust you, let's go. It, it enabled him ultimately, and there are some other things, I'm not, we're not the only you know, one-stop shop to fix this stuff, but now he's enrolled back in school, he's working on his degree, he has a, a future that is significantly brighter than it was before he started coming rock climbing. Uh, we leverage that program. And a couple of times a year, we take veterans on weekend therapy sessions where we bring in the Burris Functional Emotional Fitness stuff. And we talk about it in between the rock climbing stuff. And this last weekend, I took a group. I think we had eight. We went to Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and we did some extremely difficult and tactical rock climbing. And we had a great session with them. Oh, my gosh, Carl. This is so, so, so important work. I, I'm dripping and hanging on every word that you're saying. Um, and How we much just time gotta, do we have left? Because yeah, i, I got a we, couple of things i got to hit on. Yeah, yeah. We've got just a couple of minutes here that, that are left. So what? Um, in about two minutes, what, what did you want to say? Yeah, so first, uh, coming up the end of October, October 25th, 26th, 27th, we have Vet Expo that's at Sediment Creek Ranch in Fort Worth, Texas. You can go to vetxpo.com to learn more. Simon Senek is coming in Friday night to speak to our barbecue banquet. Simon is world-renowned in the work that he does on hope and purpose. And he is uh, coming for free because he believes in what we do, and he wants to help us grow our mission. That's amazing. Saturday, we'll, we have some. Uh, we have five veterans that are business owners and successful in other areas that are going to come talk about their own transitions. And then Sunday morning, we have a kickball tournament, some family activities. They'll be real fun. So vetxpo.com. If you want to learn more about my journey and what we do, uh, Common Sense Transition is a book that I wrote almost two years ago. It's available on Amazon, both in Kindle and in in print version. But it lays out my story in detail, as well as some of the veterans that I work with. The last thing that I want to mention, unless you have any other questions, is I talked earlier about my dad leaving when I was four. Now, anything is possible, because my stepdad who adopted me, my birth name was Vodder, my my uh, adopted name is Monger. Uh, seven years ago, my stepdad passed away, the adopted, who's now legally my real dad. Uh, earlier this year, my biological father and my mother reconnected. And uh, in August, they got remarried oh, after wow. being apart. <laughs> I think they were together for, um, I want to say, eight years, and then they were divorced for 53 years. And now they're back together. Uh, Anything is possible. Forgiveness is possible. Growth is possible. Overcoming the crap that happens in your life is possible. And the biggest lesson that we have through our functional emotional fitness coaching is what happened to you yesterday, last year, 
when you were a kid, that doesn't matter. The, what you make in, form, in terms of a decision in the next second, the next minute, the next hour is totally under your control. You don't have to let anything that's ever happened to you dictate that decision. And too often we allow the excuses and reasons for what brought us to where we are today to dictate the next thing that happens. Uh, I completely applaud that, and it does align with my work in logotherapy as well, and that, that is how the attitudinal stance we take in any one situation is under our control and is our freedom and our responsibility. Completely applaud that. Carl, thank you so much for being a guest on Working on Purpose. You are a tremendous contribution. Thank you. Any veterans out there, go to azimuthcheck.org, and you'll get in our system. Awesome. If you want to learn more about Carl Munger and the work he and his team are doing at Gallant Few, go to the website. It's gallantfew.org. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Rachel Stewart, who is the author of Unqualified Success, Bridging the Gap Between Where You Are Now and Where You Want to Be to Achieve Massive Success. We talked about her book, and she gave some key takeaways you can immediately put to use. See you next week for another nurturing and inspiring conversation. And remember, work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>